Uh, good morning. Good to see you guys. Hey, before I uh, jump into my stuff, I just need to, uh, we're family around here and we're community, so let me uh, just share a way that you could help out today. Um, just one of those rare occurrences that uh, we uh, have a team of people that to help us tear down the courtyard every week, but we got several phone calls yesterday for very different reasons and all of them very valid that several of them couldn't be here today. And so if you could hang around for half an hour or so after the service and help us uh, tear down in the courtyard today, that would be a huge help to us and a real blessing, and I would personally greatly appreciate that help. Not that I'll be out there doing that part of it necessarily, but those other people who will be out there would appreciate it. I'll be in here doing my thing. That was really stupid the way I said that, wasn't it? <laughs> All right. Hey, I'm going to tell you a story about my childhood today. And it's probably one of those stories that as I was thinking about it last night, I thought, I think that after I tell this, I will regret it because I'm afraid it will come back to haunt me in different ways over the next few months. But I'll risk that and uh, tell the story anyway. When I was a child, uh, probably early elementary school, I can remember climbing into bed at night and being afraid that there were monsters under my bed or bad people outside my window. And so I would crawl into bed, I would get in the very middle of the bed, I would take my covers and pull them up as tightly as I possibly could, no matter how hot it was, and lay there as perfectly still as I could, thinking that if I lay still enough, they won't know that I'm here. And if I'm in the middle of the bed, they won't be able to get me as easily. And uh, I was very afraid of those potential monsters under my bed. Now I want to ask you, who would be man or woman enough to admit that they also had that fear as a child? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. Those of you who didn't put your hand up, I'm guessing that you're just not brave enough to admit it. I don't know. You know what we discover as we grow up? We discover as we grow up that we have some monsters in our hearts. And these monsters are very, very real. Last week we began talking about the enemy or enemies within us and the reality that there are some things that we battle in our lives that are very real. We read this scripture last week. Paul, who was a leader in the early church, writes about some of his own spiritual struggles. And it's interesting he says this because I think you can identify with our struggle over the enemy within us. He says, I do not understand the things I do. I do not do what I want to do, and I do the things I hate. And then he says this, so I have learned this rule. When I want to do good, evil is there with me. There is an enemy Within us. And so, for five weeks, we're spending some time exploring some of the enemies that we often battle against in our lives. Last week, we uh, kicked this off and we uh, had some fun. Remember, uh, we had the gorilla here following Brad all over the campus uh, last week. And it was that whole idea that, you know, we could sort of describe this enemy within as this gorilla that sort of just is always lingering around us and kind of messes with our lives and we need to get rid of it. And last week, the gorilla or the enemy that we talked about dealing with was pride. And we talked about some realities of it and some characteristics of pride and some ways to um, eradicate it from our lives. Today I want to talk about a second enemy that is within us, and it is the enemy of bitterness. And I wonder this morning, if you were to look honestly into the deep places of your heart, how many of us would have to admit that we carry a little bit of bitterness around? If you look deep in your heart this morning, would you have to say with me at times, it is in me. Watch this. I'm amazed on how bitter people can be. This woman at work, she just got this huge promotion. Great promotion. I can't believe she got that job. Over me? Corner office. 
Burke's parking spot. And the moment she got it, everyone's talking about how she didn't deserve it. She didn't deserve any of that! They're like, they're amazed she'd have gotten the first place. I should have got that promotion. Why her? She, I'm not like that. Are you kidding me? I mean, great. Good for her. I'm glad she got that promotion. I mean, I'm not sweating it. I'm going to get mine someday. She hasn't even been here that long. I'm moving up. I just... I don't sweat that stuff. That was my job. I should have had that job. I can't be that bitter. I'm so bitter. Anybody identify with that battle that sometimes goes on in our lives? I'm going to show you a story in the Old Testament of our Bibles that I, that I think shows a guy who was struggling with bitterness in his life. And I don't know if he would have admitted it, but I think if he could have looked deep into the places of his heart, we would have found some bitterness that had taken root there. The story is found in 1 Kings chapter 2 in the Old Testament. I'm just going to read a couple of verses there. And it's the story of David. And uh, David was uh, king over Israel, as we said last week, and he ruled with strength and power and wisdom. But as he moved towards the end of his reign over Israel, his son Absalom decided that he would be a better king than his dad. And so he was very charming. He convinced some of his buddies, hey, let's lead a little revolt here and let's take over my dad's throne. And he actually got a bunch of troops together and stormed the city of Jerusalem. Well, David had to make a choice, and David made the choice that he would rather flee and be humiliated than get into a bloody civil war with his own son. So he and his household are fleeing the city, and you'd probably think it's one of those moments for David that it just couldn't get any worse than this. How humiliating to have to flee from your own son. Well, it does get worse. Because as David and his household are fleeing the city, there is this commoner named Shimei who is up on a hillside, and he begins to hurl down insults at David, making fun of him, ridiculing him for running away and making fun of him for some things he did previously while he was ruling as king. And he's throwing dirt clods at him and stones. And one of David's soldiers says, I'll take care of that ignorant guy. I'll run him through with a sword. And David says, no, I don't want you to do that. He says, maybe I'm getting what I deserve. Now, if that was the end of the story, we'd say, wow, that's great, David. What an incredible heart you have and how magnanimous you are and what a, what a leader you are, David. But that's not the end of the story. Ten years later, David, through a series of events, is still king. Absalom doesn't actually take over. And David is actually on his deathbed. And on his deathbed, he is kind of handing things off to his son Solomon, who will become king of the nation of Israel. And I want you to listen to what David says on his deathbed in 1 Kings chapter 2. And remember, this is a decade later. Ten years have gone by. And David says this to Solomon. And remember, you have Shammai, son of Gera, the Benjamite from Behurim, who called down bitter curses on me the day I went to Manhinam. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword. But now, ten years later, do not consider him innocent. You are a man of wisdom. You will know what to do with him. 
Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. David was bitter. David had held on to this incident that had obviously hurt him ten years ago, and he had allowed the bitterness, I think, to grow in his life. Now, let's take a minute and kind of define what is bitterness. Bitterness is deciding, and that's a key word, it's a decision that we make. Bitterness is deciding to hold on to hostility toward another person who has hurt us. Maybe they have hurt us by taking something or someone from us, but in some way they have hurt us and we decide to hold on to that hostility. Bitterness is holding on to a hurt until the hurt has a hold on you. And I think that's what David had done. But do you know what the Bible says that we ought to do? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, love does not keep a record of wrong. That's an accounting term for entering something into a ledger so that it will not be forgotten. But the Bible teaches that if we really understand love, and if love is a characteristic of our life, and if we have encountered the love of God along the way, the way that we will respond is not to place it in the ledger so that we can hold on to it and remember it. Love says, let go of it. Don't hold on to it. But most of us, don't do that, do we? For a lot of us, at least, we, when we're hurt, we hold on to it. Sometimes for a long time. Maybe you've had your own Shammai experiences when somebody has hurt you. Maybe for you it came as a, a, little, as a young child. Maybe you were a really good student. But the other children who were a little more athletic made fun of your lack of athletic ability out on the playground. And maybe you remember that in your mind like it was yesterday. We have, a, we have a way of remembering things that have hurt us, don't we? It's like we place them on a videotape and the videotape just plays over and over again in our minds with vivid detail. In fact, that's one of the characteristics of bitterness. It remembers the details. Maybe your Shammai experience came at the hands of a coach or a counselor or a teacher. Maybe, unfortunately, your Shammai experience came in your own home, at the hands of an alcoholic father or an inconsistent mother. And it's just really hard for you to even imagine letting go of that. And we have a, a tendency in our lives just to hold on to those things. We, we write them in the ledger and we hold on to them. Maybe your Shammai experience came at work sometime. Maybe you were cut out of a job or cheated out of some money. Maybe your Shammai experience came with your spouse. And somewhere along the way, they hurt you deeply and you just keep holding on to that hurt. And slowly but surely, it has eroded away at your marriage. So there's just not much of a relationship left. Bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Bitterness is like planting a seed sometimes. In fact, that's exactly how the Bible describes it in Romans chapter, or in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. This is a, a flower. They're on sale by the way at Lowe's. Very inexpensive. And uh, I went and purchased one yesterday. You know, at some point, somebody took a seed and placed it in the soil and that 
seed began to develop roots and it grew in this case to become a beautiful flower. Beautiful flower. There are seeds of hurt in our lives that for whatever reason, we let them get planted in the soil of our lives and the roots of that hurt begin to spread and something not nearly as pretty as this flower grows up. In fact, it grows up to be quite ugly. And that is bitterness. And that bitterness has a way of sinking its roots deep into our lives and contaminating nearly every part of our lives. Let me illustrate for you. Do you know bitter people lose their health? Bitterness is one of the most unhealthy emotions that we could ever have. Bitter, bitterness literally makes people sick. In fact, let me quote a couple of medical sources for you that, that talk just about this. S.I. McMillan in one of his books says this, Anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness are the causative factors in physical diseases. Louis Smeeds then writes this. He says, Hypertension and heart disease are a major illness influenced by the stress brought about by unforgiveness. When we hold on to hurts, when bitterness takes root in our lives, we, we lose our health. Another thing that happens when we begin to hold on to bitterness, bitter people lose their freedom. In fact, Acts uh, chapter 8 says this, For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to it, or captive to sin. Bitterness has this way of just beginning to, to control our lives. It's like we're imprisoned by it. Bitter people lose companionship. Have you heard the story of, of Simon and Shona uh, Tob, I think is their last name? Yeah, quite an interesting story. It happened several years ago, but the best I could find out as I researched it on the Internet this week, it is, this situation is still going on between them. They were happily married for a number of years, but somewhere along the way, something happened and they decided to get a divorce. And in the process of getting a divorce, it became a bitter battle between them. Both of them refused to move outside of the house. And so they went before a judge and the judge's decision, and I, this is kind of strange, but he decided that they needed to put a wall between two parts of the house and literally split the house in half. And that's what they did. And that's how they've been living for several years now. Simon actually has to access his second story dining room by going outside to a neighbor's staircase outside, up the staircase, across the balcony and through a window. Shauna, on the other hand, keeps claiming that Simon isn't fair to her because all of the controls for the heating and the air conditioning are on his side of the house. He makes it cold in the winter and hot in the summer. He bangs around and makes all kinds of noise. And the bitterness just keeps growing and growing. And literally, this has gone on for several years now. Bitterness has a way of seeping into our lives. And that's the kind of alienation that happens when bitterness takes root. Bitter people also have a torrid spiritual life. Bitterness produces torrid spirituality. I love that word torrid. It means dry, miserably dry, Sahara dry. And when bitterness has the opportunity to take root in our lives and begins to contaminate everything, it dries us out spiritually. You know, if you're not able to do some basic things, if you struggle with having a, a daily quiet time, reading the Bible, or having a daily prayer time, if church attendance is a bit of a struggle for you at times, or just even being kind in general to people who are around you, it may be evidence that bitterness has taken root in your life and it is drying you out spiritually. 
If you haven't seen much growth in your spiritual life, if you look at your life and think, you know, there's not much fruit of the Spirit in my life. I don't see much love, joy, peace, or patience, or long-suffering in my life. It may be evidence that you are drying out spiritually. And the root of the cause may be that you've allowed bitterness to contaminate your life. Listen to how the Psalms describe what happens in our lives. The psalmist wrote in the Old Testament, Then I realized how bitter I had become, how pained I had been by all that I had seen, some past experience. I was so foolish and ignorant, I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. You know what? Just like AIDS breaks down our human immune system, bitterness has a way of breaking down our spiritual immune system and drying us out spiritually and even potentially causing spiritual death. So if when bitterness takes root in our lives, if it does all of these things to us, how do we get rid of it? I want to show you a story in John chapter 21. And if you brought your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to this one. John chapter 21, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and beginning four books of the New Testament. Chapter 21. This story, I think, shows us the path to forgiveness and the way to overcome bitterness in our lives. Now here's the background of the story. This is a, a breakfast meeting that happens between Jesus and Peter on a seashore one morning. Peter was one of Jesus' twelve disciples or apostles, one of his closest followers. They had developed an incredible friendship with each other, very close. Peter was very committed to Jesus. But several months prior to this, on the night that Jesus would be arrested and ultimately He would be taken to the cross and die there for our sins and then be resurrected three days later, Peter and Jesus had had this conversation where Peter recommitted his, his allegiance to Jesus and said, man, I'll always follow you. And just hours later, after Jesus had been arrested and taken away, Peter followed him to a courtyard. And in that courtyard, three times, Peter says to the people around him, I don't know Jesus. I don't follow Him. I don't know who He is. And the last time that Peter said that, Jesus heard Him and their eyes locked with each other and immediately Peter was overcome by the guilt and shame of what he had just done to Jesus. And I have to believe that in that moment there was a part of Jesus that was deeply hurt by Peter's words. Well, fast forward through those next events where he goes to the cross and resurrected and Peter and Jesus have seen each other prior to this event and probably had a conversation. But I want you to listen to what happens on this morning. Peter and his buddies had been out fishing all night long. Jesus shows up on the seashore. Peter runs the shore. And they sit down for breakfast together and listen to the conversation that happens. At John 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Well, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. You know what happens there? Every time Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, He is sort of reinstating Peter. He's saying to Peter, you're still 
going to do something significant. You're going to lead again. You're going to have a significant role in the church. And by His words and His action, Jesus was restoring His relationship with Peter. Let me point out some things from that story that I think mark for us the path to forgiveness and overcoming bitterness. The first thing I noticed, the way that we need to deal with bitterness is to resist it in the first place. I don't see any bitterness in Jesus' words. Do you notice He doesn't bring up what Peter had done in the past? He doesn't say to Peter, you know, remember that night when you disowned me? He doesn't dig that up. Because Jesus has done what God has said He would always do with us. The Bible says that when we sin, when we do wrong, God takes that sin and He buries it in the deepest sea and He remembers it no more. Now, you know, for you and I, we don't have the capacity as humans to just forget, do we? But we do have the capacity to make the decision that when somebody hurts us, we are going to lay it down and move on. And the next time that somebody does something that hurts you deeply, that's exactly how you need to respond if you don't want bitterness to take root in your life. Just lay it down when it happens and move on. The second step that I see uh, in the story is that you've got to admit that you have a problem. Now, I notice that Jesus doesn't bring up all the sort of details of the past, but I do notice that Jesus has the conversation. He knows that there is still their relationship is still messed up, and so they've got, to, they've got to deal with it. They've got to admit that. And so they have this conversation that leads to forgiveness. And when you and I struggle with something that happens in our life, something that's happened in the past and bitterness has taken root in your life, the first thing you've got to do is admit that you are struggling with bitterness. You've got to deal with it at that level. The third thing that I see that happens in this story is that you've got to then decide to forgive. You've got to decide to forgive. And you know what? It is a decision. Because I know what happens. When I talk to you this morning about, hey, you need to forgive, some of you are immediately mentally pushing back at me and saying, wait a minute, I don't feel like forgiving them. You don't know how badly they hurt me. I don't want to even talk about forgiveness. I have to believe this morning that that night Jesus was hurt by what Peter did. And Jesus could have said, you know what, I don't feel like forgiving Peter. But that wasn't His response. Jesus made the choice to forgive. And forgiveness is not about a feeling. Forgiveness is about being obedient to God. In fact, Jesus in His own words said this in Mark chapter 11. He said, but when you are praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Jesus seems to indicate that if I want to go to God and ask for forgiveness, before I do that, I need to forgive those who have hurt me. And that's what Jesus modeled for us. When Peter hurt him, I don't know if Jesus felt like forgiving him, but Jesus made the choice to do what was right and forgave Peter. The next step that I notice in the process is that we need to we notice that Jesus took the initiative. Jesus took the initiative. He didn't do what our tendency. You know what our tendency is? Somebody hurts us. Our tendency is to go home and mope and sit around in our chair and wait for them to come running to us and crawl at our feet and and beg for our forgiveness. Now, Jesus didn't do that. He took the initiative to have the conversation with Peter 
and to offer His forgiveness. And when we're hurt, we need to take the initiative. You know, part of dealing with bitterness and the fact that it is a seed that is planted and it begins to grow these deep roots, if we really want to deal with bitterness, then we have got to get bitterness by its very roots and pull it out. Right at the roots. And part of getting bitterness at the root is to take the initiative. When we sit around and wait for somebody else to take the initiative, all we do is give the roots of bitterness a chance to grow in our lives. We need to take the initiative and pull it out by its roots. Somebody would like to have this plant afterwards, you're welcome to take it home. If you plant it quickly, it might survive. Or you can just go buy your own new one at Lowe's for 98 cents. Fourth, you have to release the offender. You have to realize what the Bible says, that it's not my job to seek vengeance. In fact, here's exactly what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. The words of God. Now, just because we don't think that it's our responsibility to seek revenge doesn't mean that I'm saying that it didn't hurt me, that whatever the person did, that it wasn't any big deal. We're not in any way admitting that we're wrong. We're simply admitting that it's not my job to try to pay them back. That's God's job. And I don't know about you, but I really don't want to try to do what God says He'll take care of. Because He'll do it far better than I ever would. I don't know if you followed the story sometime in January about the Senator or Congressman John Lewis from Georgia. It seems that 38 years ago, John Lewis, was, who was a, a black man, an African-American, was attacked by a white man, really for no reason. This white man hurled insults at him and literally beat John Lewis up. For 38 years, John Lewis had no idea who it was that, who, that had attacked him. But just last month, Elwin Mills decided that he would finally come forward and admit that he was the one who had attacked John Lewis. They actually had a face-to-face meeting. And in that meeting, John Lewis offered his forgiveness to Elwin Mills. Incredible. Incredible to think that John Lewis would be willing to forgive this man who had brutally attacked him 38 years ago. It was interesting as I heard the story on the news, on NBC, on the nightly news. Brian Williams was talking about it in his narration of the story. He said, he commented that what, what had brought Elwin Mills to the point that he would finally come forward and ask for forgiveness. And Elwin Mills said it was because of things he had been learning at church and the impact that the Bible was having on his life. And then Brian Williams went on to make some more commentary and towards the end he said something to this effect. He said, you know, in terms of what would allow John Lewis to forgive him, he said the only thing I know to explain it is grace and forgiveness. And he was right. And if John Lewis can offer grace and forgiveness to somebody who hurt him so badly 38 years ago, then what holds me back from offering grace and forgiveness to people who may hurt me? Do you remember that verse we read at the beginning in Romans or Hebrews chapter 12 where it says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to trouble and defile many. A big key in us getting Bitterness by its roots and eliminating it in our life is allowing God's grace to flow into our lives and into the lives of others. If Joseph, in the Old Testament of the Bible, if Joseph, whose brothers literally sold him into slavery and allowed him to be carried away to Egypt, if Joseph could forgive his brothers, 
If Corrie Ten Boom could forgive the Nazi prisoner who tortured her and murdered her family, if Jesus Christ could forgive me of all of the wrong stuff that I have ever done in my life, then why am I not willing to forgive those who may hurt me? That's God's grace. And who of us in this room has not experienced God's grace to some extent in our lives? Because all of us have messed up at some point, haven't we? I've never met anyone yet that wouldn't admit that somewhere along the way they had done some wrong things. And God's grace has been offered to every one of us who have ever done anything wrong. God's grace has been offered to us to say, you know what? I don't care what you've done wrong. I don't care how badly you've messed up. I'll forgive you if you'll just accept my gift. The gift of Jesus dying on the cross in your place. And if I have been forgiven all of that, why am I not willing to forgive others when they hurt me? Why would I allow the seed of bitterness to get planted in the soil of my life and allow its roots to begin to grow and to contaminate everything in my life? Why not just lay it down and through the power of God, forgive and move on? Let's pray together. God, I thank You for Your grace in my life. Because God, I will admit today, I've done a lot of wrong things. And I am so thankful that You continue to forgive me. God, I pray that You would help me and every person in this room to be really honest as we look into the deep places of our hearts this morning and honestly examine, is there any root of bitterness that is growing up in my life? And God, if it is there, would You expose it to us this morning? Would You help us, God, through Your strength to get a hold of it by the roots and yank it out of our lives? Because we do not want it to contaminate us. Thank you, God, for how you'll work. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.